Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 25 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you for being here. Today's guest is Matt Webb, who is a partner of Webb Creative, the other partner being his partner for life, his wife, Catherine. Really enjoyed chatting with Matt. He's a really insightful dude. He's got a lot of unique views and perspective on things. Uh, We chat stories about one of the most influential designs that he saw just across the street from where he used to live. Uh, We chat about stories um, from one of his mentors, his design mentors, and he shares a funny story with us um, for a mock City of Toronto logo that he did back in the Rob Ford days. Um, So definitely tune into that one. I also wanted to say he gives uh, so far one of the most unique answers to the last question, you know, about the design tool community you just could not live without. Um, I really like his answer. So hang in there for this one. This one exceeds the sort of 30 minutes just a little bit, but you know what? I'm the host, so I'm going to allow it. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Webb from Webb Creative. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? How are you, Matt? Hi, I'm good. Awesome. Well, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, my name is Matt Webb. I am a partner at a design firm in New West called Web Creative. Um, I run the studio with my partner and also wife, Catherine Webb. Um, partner for we life. specialize. Hmm, pardon me. Partner for life. Partner for life. Yeah. Well, there's. It, it's a funny story. We've been together for about 15 years, but only have been working together for the last roughly three. So it took us quite a while to get to that uh, full partnership level, but. Uh, <laughs> Since we've gotten there, it's been working pretty well. So it was kind of like a, a make, or, make or break sort of decision there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we kind of specialize in branding and packaging. Um, we work mainly uh, in the cannabis industry uh, at this point. Um, and we've been out here for about three years. Previously, we were in Toronto for about 10. Uh, and before that, Halifax and New York and a few other places. So um, yeah. <laughs> So you're an East Coast guy? Not originally. Um, we're actually uh, both Western, not necessarily West Coast. Catherine grew up in Nanaimo, uh, and I grew up in a little town in Alberta called Camrose, which is um, sort of 45 minutes southwest, southeast sorry, of Edmonton. Um, so ironically, we both had to go to the other side of Canada to meet and then come all the way back here. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and before you guys started uh, the agency Web Creative, um, what were you doing before that? Um, prior to that, I was the senior designer at Chad Roberts Design in Toronto. Um, so that is a, a small sort of boutique studio run by Chad Roberts. Um, it was myself, Chad, and one other uh, person, Ian Fotheringham, uh, who did all of our web design at that point. Uh, since then, the studio has grown uh, quite a bit, um, but. He sort of uh, focused on work for clients in the food and uh, restaurant industries mainly, and also Mm -hmm. packaging and that sort of thing. Um, He was um, the 
believe his title was senior designer uh, for Luis Feely in New York City for a few years. Uh, and he also taught the packaging design program at SVA in New York. So uh, working under Chad was kind of like uh, going to get a master's but getting paid for it, I guess, is kind <laughs> of the way I like to put it. Yeah, because... Um, I mean, it's one thing to to go study under someone. It's another thing to go and uh, you know have to work to their uh, to their level and to their standards. So uh, I did that for for the three years, uh, just about three years prior to coming out here, uh, and prior to that had you know just sort of gone through the regular, well, I guess regular um, sort of. Uh, went through studios and agencies and that sort of thing and sort of figured out that I wanted to focus more on, uh, on a high level of execution rather than things like ad campaigns or that sort of thing. So that's sort of how I fell into, to working with Chad. Um, and before we came out here, Catherine was the creative director for a startup called Chango in Toronto. Um, okay. They did um, sort of programmatic advertising and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, while she was there, she she was sort of hired for um, her illustration, uh, sort of hybrid illustration design style that she was doing at the time. And uh, ended up sort of applying that across their whole brand and uh, starting a quarterly magazine and sort of doing all sorts of cool stuff. So uh, that's kind of what she was up to before that. So That's cool. I didn't know that about uh, yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. Her uh, and then um, so yeah. Before that, uh, she was also uh, doing sort of more institutional stuff. She worked at the University of Toronto. She worked at a place called Zinc, uh, which does sort of more formal uh, web design and that sort of well design in general. But um, yeah, so, hmm. yeah. <laughs> so then, Matt, what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood? <laughs> um, that's kind of. A funny question. Uh, I am probably, I think, a third generation graphic artist. Oh, uh, right on. Yeah, um, my dad. Um, my my parents divorced when I was really young, but I, I did sort of have a relationship with my dad growing up, uh, off and on. And he was a classic sort of wet sign painter. So I grew up hanging out in his sign shop, watching him do like old school hand lettering and Victorian signage and pinstriping trucks and painting on stock cars and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so from a really early age, that sort of informed um, having an eye for typography, I guess. Uh, and part of that, this is, it's kind of a sad, uh, a sad sort of, way to put it but um because my parents were divorced i used to look at all the signs around town because i could recognize my dad's hand style so i would look <laughs> at all the signs and be like oh yeah yeah my dad did that one okay cool 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 <laughs> and, and whatnot so yeah it, it it kind of i think trained my my eye a little bit and that kind of informed everything moving forward that's cool. So would you say then that, that noticing sort of your, your dad's specific style around town, was that the first time you started really noticing design out in the world or typography out in the world? So yes and no. I don't think I, know, I, don't think I knew what I was doing at that point in time. I didn't know I was noticing it. I mm-hmm. just did. Oh, great. Of course. Got to turn off that old email. Um, but... Uh, when I got older, um, I went to high school and all that stuff and got interested in photography and uh, silk screen and basically all the sort of things adjacent to design that I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know what 
design was until I graduated from high school, started um, working on campus at the University of Alberta and walking through the design wing on my way to work every day. Um, so I, the first time I actually noticed design was walking through the design department at the University of Alberta and seeing all the work pinned up uh, in the hallways and that sort of thing. Uh, and so then I kind of would sit and watch it change and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of neat. Um, and I happened to be working at a photo lab on campus where all the design students would come to get their things print or uh, their you know film developed back in the day and uh, pictures printed and, and whatnot. So some of my coworkers actually were design students and you know were sitting there drawing letter forms and stuff. And I was like, why are you drawing letters? That's not a thing that people draw. <laughs> and they were like, well, actually, this is called typography. I was like, oh wow, that's a cool thing that I didn't know about. <laughs> wow, so you were kind of like dabbling and circling around the designer role. Absolutely, um, but really, it was the the sort of student artwork in the while you were attending school that started pulling you in closer and closer. Absolutely, and then it, I actually kind of like remember a specific epiphany kind of thing where I was uh, waiting for a friend of mine to show up at a bar one night, and I was staring out across the street, and it was around nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right when all the ESO stations had gone from like whatever they were like in the 80s their old sort of um, build out and everything they had been completely stripped and rebuilt uh, in this really new modern sort of what at the time you know looked kind of like space age and and whatnot and I was sitting there like nursing a pint looking across the street being like oh wait someone thought about every aspect of that gas station like every different thing about that has been considered and designed and thought about and I never realized that everything around me in the world well, not everything, but you know what I mean. Most things have been considered by someone and have been sort of like put out into the world intentionally. And I kind of uh, viscerally understood the power of design in that moment. And that was sort of what sort of started me on the journey to, to going further down that path. Uh, what a cool moment where you can remember <laughs> that. That sort of eye-opening, go, wait a second. Somebody it was... Yeah, it was pretty. It, it was pretty. It, it was pretty big, actually, because um, it was like I finally realized that everything I had been doing, you know, leading up to that, had a name, um, and that I had been doing things that were all sort of part of a larger, um, a larger type of, you know, creativity that I didn't yeah. even realize I was. You were doing, already so. studying pieces of yeah. the big picture. <laughs> exactly. Crazy. Um, so then maybe this has already been answered, but I'm going to ask anyways, um, what has been the most influential design of your life so far then something you've seen or something you've been a part of? (sighs) I, um, well, I think the most influential thing, this is funny because this is a completely different answer than I had thought of, but now that I actually consider it the the most influential thing was probably that I got into punk rock when I was a teenager. So (laughs) getting into, getting into punk rock and the whole DIY culture that goes along with it empowered me to do things without any formal training. And it taught me to be resourceful and it taught me to uh, sort of like look at the world in a way that was slightly different. Mm -hmm. Um, So I spent most of my teenage years sitting in my bedroom designing 
logos without knowing I was doing that. <laughs> like I was designing punk rock emblems, but their yeah. logos, uh, pretty complex ones actually in, in retrospect. And, uh, and then cutting those out as stencils and spray painting them all over my room. Sorry. <laughs> now, do, great you, idea. <laughs> do you still have some of those? I actually, I do because, um, I have a guitar amp in my garage that I've had since I was a kid and I spray painted all over it. So some of those old, um, like, uh, destroy fascism stencils and stuff are still on there. <laughs> I better see that up on your Instagram later today, Matt. Uh, it actually, you know what? I believe it is way back in my Instagram, but I'll put it back up for you. <laughs> all right. Freshen that up. That would be really cool to see. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, they're yeah. Baby logos. Every once in a while, I go home to my parents' house and I'll be digging through old stuff and I'll find baby logos that I made when I was a kid and it's really The gateway funny. logos, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of them actually was the word always, but it was drawn like the Vancouver Canucks logo. It was super weird. I don't know what it was about. but uh, You were just <laughs> expanding your creative horizons. Apparently, yeah. It was on the inside of a Q-tips container, so I must have been a real board. Yeah, that's even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> So that do you, while you're creating things and working on new products, do you run into creative blocks and how do you get past them? Um, that's an interesting question. And Catherine and I actually talked about this one a bit. And um, we came to the consensus that we don't really come to, we don't really have the problem of creative blocks because we approach um, we are we approach our work very systematically, and we have a very sort of defined process um, uh-huh. that we go through. So, often, just doing the work gets us through that hump, if you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and that's something I like. I really, really, really learned from working with Chad was. Uh, there would be times when he would task me with something, and I would sit there for two days doing, you know like research and trying to figure out an in and like trying to get an idea. And he would sort of start tapping his fingers and say, you just need to start drawing. You need, just need to start making stuff and it will tell you what to do. I was like, okay, okay. And finally I did that enough times that I understood what he meant. Um, so that's sort of how, how we approach it now is if we're, if we run up against something, we just try and work through it. Um, and we tend to find that, we have good days and bad days. I especially find that if I have a day that I come in and I find like I'm really, really struggling to create anything that I like or that I think is, you know, worth anything, mm-hmm. I'll usually go home, sleep on it, come back the next day and like make a bunch of stuff that I love. Um, and again, that's happened enough times that I sort of have learned to trust myself, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, so I guess a com- yeah, a combination of um, just sort of, um, trusting yourself to work through it and um, just experience of having gone through it enough times um, it's the creative block thing isn't something that I find we struggle with a lot so it's um, something where you know you come into situations or maybe you're contemplating oh what do I do with this what direction do I do with this and then you remember the process the process stick to our process and by just starting that process Absolutely. Naturally guides you through, you know, a quote unquote mini little block or moment of unsureness. That's not a word. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, yeah. No, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And oftentimes it takes, you know, going into that first weird, complete blank slate area to come up with some 
maybe like slightly different take on something that you can then run with. Um, so there's lots of times where I've like done what I call 0.5 rounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some of them have been like fully realized, which is not the best use of time, but where you do a whole bunch of stuff and it takes you that much stuff to get to the point where you're like, oh, I finally understand what I should be doing with this, and you throw it all away, <laughs> and then you start <laughs> round one. Um, yeah, I, one of my earlier interviews, actually, with, I believe it was Margaret who said this. She had a mentor that um, said, you know, you could spend all day designing, and the best thing you could do is throw it all away the next morning. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and it's so hard to... It's so hard to do that on your own, and mm-hmm. that's another reason why I'm so happy that I had the experience of working with someone like Chad, who had a lot of uh, you know experience to draw from, because he would regularly do that. <laughs> he would come up and say, "No, just delete all of that. Just move on. It's not yeah. working. Just forget that. <laughs> move it into <laughs> like, the old no dice folder." Oh, totally. And yeah. the way that the studio was set up, his he could see my screen at all times, so <laughs> I could you know, tell by the size coming from behind me, whether what I was working on was working or not. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you just like, and it, you know, you glance behind and you're just like, Oh yeah. Okay. No, I'm just gonna No, You get the feeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you kind of like, you get trained to, to know when to sort of not be precious about things. <laughs> very good point. And be very brutally honest about whether or not it's working. So before I dive into the questions where, you know, you got to start pulling at the heart, I want uh, to get one more um, and quickly mention social media and its role in the design world. Um, Has it changed graphic design? Has it changed the process of design? And do you think that's beneficial or harmful? That's a, well, that's a double-edged sword, of course. Um, I think that there's two answers to that from my perspective. One is if you use social media to follow people that you find inspiring and uh, that push you forward in in your work and in your practice, that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I, you know, I try to mostly just stick to Instagram and I follow a handful of people like that and a bunch of personal friends and that's it. I don't, I don't really engage with the design world on social media because mm-hmm. which sort of brings me to my next point. Um, I was on dribble when it started like way back whenever it started. And um, are you, I'm sure you're familiar with dribble. Mm-hmm. The, like, yep. sure, yeah, exactly. So I, it's been so long since I used it. I don't even know if it exists anymore. I'm sure it does. <laughs> but <laughs> what made me leave was the fact that it became this echo chamber where you had all these people sharing things and uh, essentially designing to the status quo, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is is a pretty actually good way to put it. Because rather than, you know, going off and coming up with your solutions, um, not necessarily in private, but on your own and by bringing in different inspirations or whatever, Everybody was looking at, is still looking at the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. So there's like five design styles now. You, you know, you can do this thing, that thing, that thing, or that thing. And uh, finding voices that break that, especially mm-hmm. on social media, I find it's really rare. Um, so that's kind of why. I mean, we obviously have a an Instagram account for the studio. We have a Facebook account, but 
we also try and share like stuff that we find inspiring, just like old weird stuff that we find and whatever. Yeah, and that. it's yeah, it's not just like um, like I hate it when studios just have like perfectly art directed set up shots of all their work and that's all their feed is mm-hmm. because like I can go to your website and see your portfolio that's great I don't want to interact with your work on social media like I want to know who you are I want to know what your perspective is I want to you know get a sense of, of the studio as people at least that's what I feel social media should be about so um, you know that's yeah, an interesting kind of, point because I have seen yeah. your page you know be very diverse that way but I have definitely seen those I mean, those agency or really clean cut social profiles um, where it's like, man, we just want to know what you had for breakfast today. Yeah. And I I find those off putting because like um, there's a I mean, this all comes back to, like I said before, the 14 year old punk rock kid in me. But like there's a lack of authenticity there. And I as much as authenticity is a cliche at this point in time and every client wants something authentic and et cetera, et cetera. I still think that it's, you know, a universal value of, uh, you know, being human that you have to be mm-hmm. as authentic as possible. So it, those things, anything that, that sort of like decreases the authenticity like that, I kind of shy away from. So yeah, it's, uh, and that's, I, I guess I don't. I'm not sure if that's. I don't think that's unique, but uh, I find that there's less and less of that in design uh, in general, mm-hmm. which is ironic because people have such an opportunity to be like super weird. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like that's what I love. You know, when I find like um, I find these studios that just like do this weird stuff and have this weird niche. I don't know any names off the top of my head because again i'm really bad for like not paying attention to things yep. <laughs> but mm-hmm. i know i know the weird stuff when i see it and then i fall down a rabbit hole for a day and it's amazing and i'm like oh great i love that people are doing this weird stuff because there's so many people doing what's expected you know um i, I a good example of that and i this isn't because i did it this is just because i you know, it popped into my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, I was approached by the Globe and Mail uh, when I was in Toronto, um, while our good friend Rob Ford was the mayor. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. the Globe and Mail, uh, there I can't remember the 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 writer's name, uh, pitched this piece where they were going to approach designers to do new logos for Toronto because Rob Ford's Toronto needed a new logo because it was such a oh boy, opening up that box. Yeah. So. Um, that was all well and good. And I was like, okay, yeah, like this sounds amazing. Like, cause obviously I'm sure you can tell from my tone. I wasn't a huge fan of Mr. Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you're not the only one. Yeah. And so they got like, I can't remember. It was like 15 or 20 people to do these logos and they sent them in with like these rationales and you know like what this is about blah blah blah. They all got published in the Globe and Mail uh, or published online. I can't remember. Out of all of the people that submitted logos, I was the only person that did like uh, a logo that was also like a comment. Mm-hmm. So the logo that I did was just the same Toronto logo, but uh, art like circus type and with i can't remember oh yeah it was with city hall replaced with a circus tent and it said a ford brothers production underneath and it was like it wasn't the most amazingly executed logo ever 
it was actually a really bad logo from a logo perspective, but it was an amazing, like I thought it was it a was hilarious. It was a message. Yeah, it was a hilarious social comment. And I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that no one else took that opportunity. Like, yeah. dude, you like dudes and you know, uh, you have an opportunity here to like directly comment on this like horrendous situation in, in Toronto. And you're just going to make like, you're going to try and actually pitch a legitimate logo, which is what every single other person did. It, it blew my, it blew my mind. Um, <laughs> and you still have this, right? You still have a copy of this somewhere. I do. I do. Awesome. Uh, I think, it's, I think you can still like, if you Google it, you can still find the story. It's still up on the Globe and Mail's website. I believe I could be wrong about that, but I did that at one point because I couldn't find it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get to the questions here that sort of pull on the heart a bit. Um, what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? <laughs> I, this is uh, another one of those questions where I immediately said, Catherine, what's the answer to that question? And she had the answer <laughs> immediately. She was like, oh, that's when you were working at a firm in... So we lived in Toronto. We lived in the West End of Toronto. And for 11 months, I worked at a uh, small design studio in Stouffville. Stouffville? Okay. Man, I can't even remember. Um, no, it wasn't Stillville. It was it was in Markham, but it was in anyway. Doesn't matter. Unionville. That's where it was. Um, so, in order to get to this job, um, I had to take a bus to the subway, uh, the subway to Union Station, and then uh, a go bus, which is like a commuter intercity bus, yeah. all the way out to Markham and Unionville. So, this whole commute took up to two hours each way. Right. Um, I had to leave at something like the. The Union Station bus was at 7.30 in the morning, so I had to leave at like 6 or something to get there on time. Mm -hmm. So I got up. I never saw my son in the morning, and I got home at, I think, 7.30 at night. Uh, Once I finally left work at 5, and, you know, 7.30 was like a a decent time for me to get home. Um, And he was already in bed because he went went to bed at 7. He was Mm -hmm. like 2 years old, 3 years old at the time. So I didn't see him for anything other than the weekends Mm -hmm. um, just because of my schedule for about 11 months. Uh, And when I took that job, the agreement with the studio was that they were moving into the city and that it would be about, you know, three months that I would have to do this commute. Mm -hmm. It ended up being 11 months. So after 11 months, they finally did move into the city uh, and they were like, okay, yeah, everybody come to work. And so I showed up, and the first day back in the new studio, they fired me. No. And, yep. And leading up to that, that whole time was one of the darkest times, I think, in my adult life. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, the insane, like, you know, and it was in the winter, too. So you're leaving at 6 in the morning in the dark, Getting it, yeah. riding a bus through, like, rush hour in the dark. You know, it was just like the definition of soul crushing, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. Um, and I don't even remember what my next job was after that. I think I might have gone from there right to Chad, but I'm not sure. Uh, I would actually have to look back because again, I'm just like that was such a bad era that I'm just like, ugh, yikes. Yuck. Yeah, it was bad. So then when you got let go, did that was that like a oh, are you kidding guys or was that a sort of a a forced relief? It was both. Yeah. Um because yeah, I didn't like working there and so this is 
another issue that I realized um, that I I had as a designer um, after working for five or seven years. I find it I found it really 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 hard to do good work for people I didn't respect, yes. yep. <laughs> either no, as people or as designers. So. Mm-hmm. I found myself in a few situations where I was doing work for people who I didn't respect as designers, um, who were nice enough people, but, uh, and a few situations where I found myself doing work for people who I didn't respect as people. Uh, and those were challenging times as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that kind of all feeds into it. <laughs> <laughs> so now I want to talk about a specific project then. Because uh, and I'm I'm going to get to the good stuff, the stuff that'll make you smile. So, <laughs> um, but before I get there, take us to a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like, and how did that feel? Did not go well. Um, I, you know, I am I uh, I am actually struggling to think of a project that was like the worst in terms of did not go well, that just like absolutely imploded and went horribly. Mm-hmm. I've been a part of a number of projects that did not go well. <laughs> like, <laughs> either working in studio, well, uh, the majority of them working in studios, but even in the past few years uh, running our own studio, we have had projects that have gone completely sideways for various reasons. So mm-hmm. um, there's any, like, there's any number of projects that I could talk about. Um, I guess, in general, it's it's almost like you can feel there's something wrong from the outset of one of those projects, mm-hmm. and you start working on it, and there's something wrong about the whole thing. Um, and that's how it, it usually feels. It just usually feels weird. There's been one or two where I thought that I did really good work, and the client completely did a 180, and... Uh, did not like it whatsoever and completely uh, like trashed it all as soon as they um, terminated the relationship, which to me, I guess is more confusing than uh, painful because it's like, well, I thought I executed exactly what you asked for. And I thought it was a pretty uh, smart way to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you turn around and, sort of react in a way that you know you asked for something completely different and, and that sort of thing so um it's frustrating but it's sort of one of those things that again has happened enough times and i've been a part of in various roles mm-hmm. um either you know responsible for the work or just adjacent to the work um that i'm kind of like we're almost overtaking it personally it's it's hard to take it personally at this point because it's happened enough times that you just kind of like well that's one of those you know and you move yeah. on um yeah, yeah you sort of take the lessons from it that you can and, well, shape, yeah, and shape and improve and move forward absolutely and there is actually one really valuable lesson that um we talked about all the time when I worked for Chad, which was that uh, good clients bring good clients and bad clients bring bad clients. And that mostly goes for the way they, the projects run, the way mm-hmm. they treat you and uh, the value they actually give to the work and to design. Uh, you know, we had bad clients that paid us a lot of money that we terminated because we didn't want them to recommend us to any other bad clients. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Good point. And, you know, and yeah. it's so hard, especially when there's money involved and good money involved, you know, to Absolutely. make a call that's better for for culture than it is for, you know, the it monthly is. statement, right? It's really it tough to make that call. 
It really is. And there were a number of times, uh, you know, just Chad's a, a pretty old school dude, uh, and he does all of his timekeeping on paper still. So there were uh, multiple times where we would put in three hours of therapy in the afternoon on our timesheets because we would sit and have a three hour discussion about whether or not we should take a job as a trio mm-hmm. because it, it really came down to the three of us and whether or not we thought it was a good fit and all this stuff. And like we had some really deep conversations about whether or not we should either start working for uh, a client or continue working for a client. So, um, and that's, and that's somewhat unique too, because I've been in any number of studios where I've been absolutely cut out of the decision-making process. There's been no transparency and I'm basically just given a set of tasks to complete. Uh, and so that's sort of what drove me to, uh, a situation where I'm surrounded by other, you know, people in a really, senior role that are all executing mm-hmm. um and that's sort of the model that that we're carrying forward as, as well like we don't have any interest in growing to be a giant agency with a bunch of people um i you know we're we only want to grow as much as we can and still execute the work i don't want to be yeah. a you know i don't want to be a bookkeeper and i don't want to write proposals all day sure. i want to design stuff and that's why i have studio <laughs> definitely good lessons from that for sure <laughs> Um, so I'm up against it on time, but I wanted to get yeah. one more question and squeeze it in here. Um, what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you cannot live without? Uh, this is either going to be a really expected or unexpected answer, but Wikipedia. <laughs> well, I will tell you you're the first with that one. Okay, good, good. Wikipedia is my most valuable design resource because it has just a most like a ridiculous amount of information on everything. I can't count how many times I've fallen down Wikipedia rabbit holes yep. that have led to really cool design solutions. Um, Interesting. Not to mention because I'm sort of like, I was trained by, well, not trained by, but I worked with Chad who does very sort of, um, what's I'm trying to figure out the best way to put it very sort of um, old school European influence design. There's okay. a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of line work. There's a lot of, uh, you know, shields and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've learned tons about heraldry uh, through Wikipedia and through that sort of stuff. I've learned tons about things like Nordic runes and not like buildings, but like runes, the U um, yeah. and like old languages and, uh, I had to do a whole project where I learned as much as I could about um, like pottery and jewelers makers marks and and then figured out how to recreate that look. And all of that was done through Wikipedia, all of the, the research. And um, there's so many visual examples in Wikimedia and most of them are public domain. Uh, So you can often find, or I can often find source material there too. If I need something to, you know, grab something from, Oftentimes, I can find it on Wikipedia or um, archive.org is another one. Um, going back and finding uh, PDF, high-res PDF copies of uh, type specimen books from the 1800s and pulling type from that. Um, I have a... Uh, it's, it's kind of how I learned how to do design on my own because I have uh, an old letter set catalog and an old sign painting manual that my dad gave me. Um, mm-hmm. Those are like 
I basically consider that my design inheritance from him because I haven't spoken to him since, which is another conversation. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, I took sure. those two things and I kept them. He wanted them back, and I kept them. And I've taken so much from that Metroset book. I did probably. 400 posters for bands and all of the type was scanned from that book like so it goes it's like wikipedia and uh these sort of internet archive sites the british museum on Flickr is another one um there's tons of them these sort of just archival things that have been dumped onto the internet and are insane resources for either uh like visual inspiration um, design elements at times like it's just it's nuts um, so that's that's my biggest resource is honestly is like archival things on the internet and just like information man that that is a very unique answer from a very unique dude thank you man I appreciate that that's no, great to hear awesome I'm out of time here but I wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today it was great having you thank you for asking me um, it's nice to talk all to you. right it's your host Dave hopping back on at the end here did you catch that Wikipedia for inspiration? I would have never thought, but I liked the answer. Thank you so much again for listening today. Have a great day. Talk to you again tomorrow. Cheers.